The Rules of Peaceful Parenting Peaceful parenting is based on the simple but radical notion that your highest moral standards should be applied to your children. If you would never dream of hitting an adult, don't hit your children. If you would never dream of insulting your boss, don't insult your children. If you would never dream of screaming at a policeman, don't scream at your children. If you could never be persuaded to punish a waiter for getting your order wrong, don't punish your children for making mistakes. If you would find it unbearably humiliating if your boss forced you to sit on a set of stairs in public for making a mistake at work, don't give your children timeouts. If you want your children to tell the truth, first, tell the truth yourself. Then never punish them for telling the truth. If you want your children to respect other people's property, you must first respect your children's property. If you want your children to use their words rather than their fists, you must first use your words rather than your fists with your children. If you want your children to treat you and others well, first, treat your children well. If you want your children to respect you, you must first act in a manner worthy of respect. And, of course, if you look in your heart, you will clearly see that you would never respect someone who lost her temper, yelled at, insulted, or hit helpless and defenseless little children. If you want your children to listen to you, you must first listen to them. If you don't like the idea of your children becoming bullies, don't bully your children. When you find yourself upset at your children's behavior, first look in the mirror and ask yourself, what did I do to create this in my children? I mean, if you were solely responsible for teaching your children language, who would be to blame if they used the wrong words? Complaining about your children is like ridiculing a mirror. They are accurate reflections of your behavior, just as a mirror is an accurate reflection of your face. If you want your children to resist peer pressure, you must first model resisting peer pressure yourself. If you want your children to avoid bad company, you must first avoid bad company yourself, even if that bad company is your own parents or siblings. If you want your children to develop self-discipline, you must first develop self-discipline yourself, in particular eating well, exercising, and being in control of your temper. If you want your children to spend less time using electronics, you must become more entertaining and interesting to them than tablets. If your children are playing a lot of video games, either join in with their play or create activities that engage them more. In general, 
If you want your children to behave in a certain manner, you must consistently behave in that manner for months or years ahead of time. No one would expect a toddler to learn English if his parents did not already speak it. You must be fluent in the language you want to teach your child. Morality is just another kind of language. If you want your children to be good, first be good yourself. If you want your children to have integrity, you must consistently model integrity for years beforehand. If you want your children to take responsibility for their actions, you must take full responsibility for your own actions for years beforehand. If you want your children to apologize when they are in the wrong, you must first model apologizing to them when you are in the wrong. This happens with every parent from time to time. If you want your children to stand up to bullies, you first must stand up to bullies, even if those bullies are within your own family of origin. If you want your children to develop good habits, you must model those habits for years ahead of time. Whatever you wish to create in your children, you must first manifest in your own behavior. You cannot teach a language to a child that you're only starting to learn yourself. Preparing for parenthood requires the learning and practice of the highest ethical standards for years before welcoming a child into your life. It is still possible to be a peaceful parent if you have failed to prepare in this way, but you must acknowledge this deficiency and apologize to your children for your inevitable lapses in the morality you failed to consistently practice before they came along. If you have abusive parents, either they must apologize, reform, and make restitution, or you must accept the inevitable results of having abusers around your children. If you expose your children to abusive people, you are telling them very clearly that you would rather appease bad people than actually protect your offspring. Your children will then clearly see the hierarchy of life, which is that people pretend to be virtuous while constantly giving way to and appeasing wrongdoers. They will clearly understand that abusers run the world and have the most power and only have to snap their fingers to have all of the supposed moral people bend to their will. If you expose your children to abusive people, those children will understand at a deep and visceral level that virtue is a mere gobbledygook of self-serving syllables, while wrongdoers always get their way and run the world. Virtue is thus revealed to your children as a fundamental hypocrisy, a smug camouflage covering up 
a very real enslavement. Since virtue equals hypocrisy and enslavement, when you tell your children to be good, all they hear is that you really, really want them to be hypocritical and enslaved. What do they truly understand from your words and deeds? Simply this. Moral people defer to evildoers and call themselves good. Then they want their children to be good, which means lying about virtue and serving evildoers until the day they die. And then these parents wonder why their children roll their eyes when receiving moral lectures. You must be different. You must show your children that virtue equals strength. This means having strength over your own negative impulses and showing them that virtue is stronger than evil by keeping evil at a distance and never giving it direct power over you or your children. Children, especially boys, have no love of weakness. And every time you defer to and appease evildoers while calling yourself noble and virtuous, you provoke them into feeling contempt and disgust at the pretense of virtue. If you trained your children in martial arts, then sent them into combat with their arms and legs bound, how receptive would they be to your future instructions? They would roll their eyes and scorn you if you ever tried to train them again. If your children see you get bullied by parents, relatives, siblings, then they will lose respect for you and gain respect for the bullies. You have nothing to complain about when this happens because you only get bullied because you have lost respect for yourself and retained your respect for the bullies. Peaceful Parenting and Moral Mistakes Children make mistakes and adults make mistakes. Children are born error-free. Babies can't be considered to make mistakes. Thus, in the parent-child relationship, it is the adults who make mistakes first. Naturally, we want our children to own up to their mistakes, tell the truth, apologize, and make restitution where necessary and possible. Since we, as parents, make mistakes first, we must clearly model our moral responses to our mistakes in front of our children. It's a strange fact of life that most people believe that taking responsibility for one's mistakes and apologizing and making restitution somehow destroys the respect that other people have for them. It's true that in many dysfunctional families, apologizing and admitting fault is used as a weapon against people for years or decades to come. But 
Everyone understands that this is destructive. If you have ever been in the fortunate position of being on the receiving end of a heartfelt apology, appropriate restitution, and a solemn promise to avoid repetition of the wrong, you know that your admiration and respect for that person goes through the roof. If a man genuinely apologizes to a woman and she snarls and sneers and holds it over him in the future, then she's a dysfunctional person and unworthy to be the custodian of his heart or the mother of his children. When we see a parent screaming at and or hitting a child, it is clear to us that the parent has completely lost control and is in grave danger of doing great harm. We have no respect for such a raging parent. Raging parents very often abuse their children on the grounds that their children have lacked self-control in some area. Their children have done something bad, such as sneaking candy, hiding something broken, hitting a sibling, and so on, because those children lacked self-control and the willingness to defer gratification. However, a parent who indulges her own vicious temper is displaying a thousandfold the exact vice she is attacking her children for. Don't imagine for a moment that her children do not deeply understand this. A little boy loses control of his temper and hits his sister. His mother then loses control of her temper and hits her boy. Who is more in the wrong? The little boy or the fully grown adult? Also, how did the little boy learn that? it was okay to lose control and hit someone. Because he has doubtless seen his mother do it a hundred times. A thousand times, perhaps. A little girl calls her brother stupid. Her father yells at her that she is bad for using such a word. So, it's wrong for the child to call another child a bad word, but it's good for an adult to call a child a bad word. A mother snaps in irritation at her daughter for not listening, but that very morning the daughter struggled to tell her mother about her dream while her mother was checking her Parents get angry at a child for taking something, then use the magical word confiscation to cover up their own taking of the child's property. If a brother locks his sister in a room, the parents get enraged and punish the brother by locking him in his room. Now, of course, parents respond to these contradictions by saying that they're only acting in reaction to the actions of their children. We are punishing the child by locking him in his room so that he understands how bad it is for him to lock his sister in her room. But that is a central question. The chicken and the egg, so to speak. Where did the child learn their behavior? 
if the parent has never modeled bad behavior, then the bad behavior must be innate to the child in some manner, a form of original sin. However, if the bad behavior is innate to the child, then it really can't be considered bad. We don't blame, denigrate, or punish children for going through puberty because the process of puberty is innate to the body of the child. We don't punish boys for getting taller or girls for developing hips. We don't punish children for having the wrong eye color or a single nose or a genetic defect such as a hair lip or hearing problems. Punishing a child for something he has no control over is abusive by definition. Even abusive people recognize this. If the parents have been perfect, but the child is bad, then the badness of the child does not come from the environment, but rather is innate to his nature. In other words, he has no control over his tendencies to badness. Ah, say his parents, but children are born bad and have to be punished and controlled into becoming good. Interesting. This means that any bad behaviors which continue must be blamed on the parents. For instance, cats do not naturally do their business in a litter box, but have to be trained to do so. If a cat fails to poop in a litter box, we don't blame the cat, but rather the owner. Do you understand? No matter which way you look at it, there is no rational basis for punishing children. How many parents get angry at their teenagers for choosing peers over their parents when those same parents chose careers, peers, over their children in years past? If you have modeled bad behavior, such as not paying attention, hitting, yelling, name-calling, losing your temper, blaming the child for something that is in fact your fault, then the bad child is simply mirroring what you have done. And the fault lies with yourself, not your offspring. If you have never modeled any bad behavior, if such actual angels truly walk among us, then the child's bad behavior is either coming from somebody else's bad behavior, a dysfunctional uncle, say, or it is innate to the nature of the child. If the child's bad behavior has come from someone other than you, then it is still entirely your fault and responsibility as the parent. For the simple and obvious reason that you are in complete control of who your children are exposed to. If you have an uncle who behaves badly and you allow this uncle around your children, then your children will accept that you must, at least to some degree, approve of this behavior. If your uncle is responsible for your children's bad behavior, then it is your uncle who must be punished, not your children. If you choose a tutor who teaches your children rude words, who is to blame? 
the tutor, of course, but also you for hiring him. And certainly not your children. If the equation is that children must be punished out of their bad behavior, and your uncle still manifests bad behavior, then the blame lies not with your child for mirroring that behavior, but with your uncle's parents for failing to train him out of his bad behavior. If your child exhibits bad behavior, but everyone around him has been a perfect angel since before he was born, an impossibility, of course, but let's run with it, then this bad behavior is innate to your child, which means that he should not be punished for it. I don't believe that absent significant brain injury, bad behavior can arise from good modeling any more than I believe that speaking Japanese can spontaneously arise from children never exposed to Japanese. If your child broke his arm and you took him to the doctor and the doctor asked how he broke his arm and you replied, nothing, nothing happened. It just broke on its own with no outside force or impact. Well, your doctor would not believe you. Or if he did, he would be very alarmed. If no outside force broke your son's arm, then his bones are just dissolving for some terrible medical reason. Naturally, most children, especially boys, exhibit significant levels of aggression in infancy and toddlerhood. But that has no more moral significance than the fact that they wake up crying and disturb their parents. These are just instincts beyond the conscious control of infants and toddlers, and therefore cannot be judged morally. If your roommate wakes you up by screaming several times a night, that is thoughtless, rude, and and abusive. He has a choice. Your baby does not. It is immoral and abusive to punish children for unchosen, innate characteristics and actions. I mean, we would never dream of punishing a child for having epilepsy or asthma because children have no control over these ailments. If your theory is that children are just innately bad, that they never mirror any bad actions of others, and that the cure for this badness is punishment until the badness disappears, then why... Do you not apply this rule to any of the bad people in your adult life? If your uncle gets drunk and yells at people, then surely he should be punished until this bad behavior disappears. However, your children see you continually inviting your uncle to family gatherings, and then perhaps complaining about him afterwards, but the invitations continue to stand. If your own parents insult or demean you in front of your children, but you continue to invite them over, then your kids clearly understand that in no way do you believe that bad behaviors must be punished until they disappear. In fact, they see you rewarding all sorts of bad behaviors with continual invitations to drinks, 
dinner and a wide variety of engaging and enjoyable social events. In other words, they know that being punished for bad behavior is just a characteristic of being a child. Adults get away with whatever they want. Emulating adults. Now, if you can find a child who never wants to emulate adults or grow into and achieve the power of adulthood, then congratulations, you have found a child from an alien species. Since adults are almost never punished for their bad behavior, and only children are, then children fully and deeply understand that such punishments are merely acts of power, not of morality. How do they know this? It's simple. Adults who misbehave are not punished, but rather rewarded. Adults clearly have greater moral responsibility than children do. Therefore, those who have the least excuse for their bad behavior get rewarded the most, while those who have the best excuse for their bad behavior get punished the most. Therefore, the equation is not punishment for bad behavior, but rather punishment for weakness. The child is not punished because he is bad, because bad adults are rewarded, the child is punished because he is weak, while adults are rewarded because they have power. Adults can sometimes have a hard time remembering this, but children live in a world of vastly different sizes. A five-year-old can be five times smaller than a 15-year-old. If a 15-year-old and a 5-year-old got into a fight and an adult broke them apart, crying out, pick on someone your own size, and then proceeded to punish the 5-year-old, this would be incomprehensible, right? When bigger teenagers bully much smaller children, children clearly understand that the bullying is an expression of power, not Morality. The bully is larger, his victim is smaller, and that is that. If you punish children for their bad behaviors but reward adults for their bad behaviors, you're just another bully. You are larger and stronger, so you punish those who are smaller and weaker. You're even worse than the obvious bully. At least the bully doesn't pretend to be inflicting moral lessons. He just wants the smaller kid's subjugation or lunch money. Children cannot fight back, just as the little girl cannot fight back against the teenage bully, and so children are aggressed against. The mean uncle can fight back, so he is rewarded with further invitations, not aggressed against. There is no principle in the world called punish people for their bad behaviors. There is only 
punish the weak and innocent while rewarding the strong and guilty. Punish children for their bad behaviors equals aggress against the weak for behaviors beyond their control. Reward the guilty, punish the innocent. Punish those with no control, reward those with great control. Punish victims for the actions of the bully. Reward the bully no matter what. And we wonder where power lust comes from. It comes from the desire to escape punishment. And it is modeled by parents who only punish the helpless while rewarding the powerful. We've all been there, let's be honest. Peaceful parenting is simply the refusal to be a bottomless, moral hypocrite. We all have to teach our children virtue. Let's at least strive to do it in an honest and consistent manner, rather than destroying virtue through bullying and hypocritical manipulations. The Ethics of Peaceful Parenting Morality is a funny business. The moment you say that something is wrong, everyone immediately asks you what they have to do instead. Whenever you successfully define immorality, what people must not do, they will immediately demand to know what they must do. It's very strange when you think about it. If I convince a man that he should not become a thief because stealing is wrong, is it rational for him then to demand that I tell him exactly what he should do with his life instead? If you convince me that it's a bad idea to travel to a certain neighborhood in Detroit, is it reasonable for me to then demand that you tell me exactly where I should travel and live in great detail for the rest of my life? We all accept that rape is immoral and evil. Does that mean that whoever convinces us that rape is evil must then tell us exactly how to woo women and who to marry? Was it incumbent upon those opposing the historical practice of slavery to tell everyone exactly what they had to do after the end of slavery? Would that not be an extension of slavery? If I convince you not to assault people, am I then responsible for choosing your circle of friends in exact detail? It's very strange. Defining something as immoral means that it's wrong to do that thing. If not doing that thing means you have to do some other specific thing, what has happened to your freedom? What has happened to your free will? What has happened to your choice? Saying don't murder does not give you a specific blueprint on how to live your life. Any more than saying, you can't live in my house, tells you exactly where you have to live for the rest of your life. It's a strange indication of how much people thirst to be ordered around, that when something gets banned, they immediately hunger for another order, another commandment, even more constrictions on their freedoms. If slavery is immoral, how am I to live? 
This is the ultimate demand of the endless slave. Order me what to do after the end of being ordered what to do. How should you parent your children? I don't know. I don't know exactly how you should parent your children. You're not a robot to be programmed, and no moral choice is worth a damn if it is any kind of order or commandment. If your doctor tells you to stop smoking, he's saying you can do just about anything other than smoke. Interpreting his suggestion to stop smoking as a commandment to become a marathon runner or a heroin addict is taking entirely too much out of the conversation. He's just telling you what not to do. He's not commanding you to do anything positive or specific. If I tell you, don't beat your wife, I'm not telling you who to marry or when to marry or whether to marry at all. If I'm telling you, don't aggress against your children, I'm not telling you what to do with them, I'm just telling you what not to do with them. It says a lot about our addiction to aggression against children that we feel utterly lost if we accept that we should never do it. How long do you have to be a slave before even the possibility of freedom fills you with hopelessness, inertia, and despair, and a bottomless desire to be endlessly commanded? How long do you have to be a criminal before even the idea of living a lawful life becomes incomprehensible and alien to you? Come on. I ask this with great love and deep sympathy. How long have you been bullied? Long enough that me telling you not to bully others prompts you to demand that I bully you? When the British Navy largely ended the worldwide practice of slavery, we got the modern world and all its miracles because labor-saving devices and approaches are only economically valuable when laborers are paid, not owned. Slavery is deeply evil, both in the violence it requires and the progress it denies. Enslavement robs the present and murders the future. Opposing slavery means liberating people from basic human ownership, leaving them free to move and pursue whatever careers and lives they choose. I don't know how you should parent your children. I don't know how you should earn your living. I know you shouldn't be a slave. I know that you should not be aggressive towards your children. I know that you should not threaten them, hit them, yell at them, terrorize them, confine them, insult them, or bully them. And you know it, too, deep down, especially after I have made the case.
When slavery ended, massive creativity and economic progress erupted across the world. When we reject aggression against our children, love, devotion, happiness, and tenderness will erupt across the world, reshaping the world in wonderful ways that even the end of slavery could not achieve. What does the world look like when children are finally reasoned rather than beaten and abused? The rational among us, and you are now among our number, like it or not, constantly mourn the absence and murder of reason in the world. We weep over the prevalence of mental illness, exploitation, destruction, violence, and abuse. We rail against the cold-hearted, the manipulative, the liars and cheaters, the addicts, destroyers and hurt people who hurt others, the broken people who break others, who grow and rage and fester and dominate across the world. We rage against war, debt, and the stealthy theft of inflation. We shudder in the faces of those who mutilate their own bodies and souls in the mad pursuit of being loved for who they are rather than what they provide. We hang our heads in sorrow in the face of souls so shattered that they can only find scant comfort in pet ownership rather than friendship, love, marriage, and children. We shudder in the presence of those who break bloody lips, endlessly blowing the trumpets of their own imaginary virtues, virtues that must forever be paid for by the subjugation and enslavement of others through taxes and debt and money printing. We recoil from the fantastic array of fantasy flesh paraded by women to extract money from men desperate for sexual contact. We falter in the face of those who blame others for their own bad decisions and run to any and all sophists willing to lift the mantle of responsibility from them. We get teary-eyed at those who follow the Pied Pipers of eternal adolescence off the cliffs of immobility rejecting natural and healthy adult responsibilities for the sake of self-pity, distraction, and blame. We fear the criminals who steal from us because their own childhoods were stolen from them. We flee the violent and abusive who were taught the bloody language of exploitation and destruction by the endless aggression of their implacable parents. We fear those who attack us because we failed to protect them as children. I don't know how you should be a parent, but I damn well know what you should never, ever do. I don't know who you should marry, but I damn well know you should never beat your lover.
I don't know who or what you should get angry at. But I know you shouldn't assault people or murder them. I don't know how you should earn your daily bread. But I know you should not steal it. It is a mark of how much we have been brutalized that when someone says to us, Stop brutalizing children! We genuinely have no idea what to do. To pierce this fog, let us examine a few possibilities.